Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR148K19, Postmillennialism in Education and Christian Idea of Economics, Philosophy of Christian Education in Christian Schools. Let us begin with prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we give thanks unto thee for all thy blessings. We thank thee, O Lord, that thou art sovereign, that thou art Lord and Governor of all things, that the government is indeed upon thy shoulders. Give us grace so to walk day by day, that we may ever learn to cast our every care upon thee, to take hands off our lives and commit them into thy keeping. Bless us this evening as we give ourselves to the study of all things in terms of thy word, that we might know in every area of life and thought that thou art sovereign. Bless us for this purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. This evening, as usual, we will have two sessions. And in our first session, in answer to your request, Ed Powell will speak on economics, a biblical interpretation of economics. Ed. Before I start, I would like to know how many of you are students and how many of you are teachers. How many students do we have here? how many teachers? And how many are planning to enter the ministry or the teaching profession? Uh, the reason I ask this is because I'm going to try to define economics, a Christian concept of economics. And I wasn't quite sure uh, what you would need if you're mostly teachers. I don't know really how to explain a Christian concept of economics so that you can apply it to your school. So I'm just going to try to explain what economics is from a Christian perspective. In one of Rush Dooney's tapes, he explained that economics is a branch of theology and once was known as moral economy. An example of this was John Witherspoon, who is primarily responsible for having economic uh, beliefs incorporated in the United States Constitution. This is primarily in terms of the precious metals as used for money. The Bible has precious metals for the use of money. It goes by weight, silver and gold. And this was the primary responsibility of the federal government at the creation of the United States under its second constitution, that the federal government would issue coins as legal tender and specified mountains. Economics is always a branch of moral theology. Even today, it is a branch of theology. But it is a branch of humanist theology today, and not of Christian theology worldwide. It is a branch of theology because Economics rests upon a juridical principle of ownership. It rests on a principle of faith, a belief in lordship. 
But trying to define economics specifically, an exact and particular definition is very hard. Trying to answer the question, what is economics, is virtually an impossibility, unless you start from a theological foundation. If you ask an economist, what is economics, he will give you his definition. If you ask another economist the same question, he will give you another definition. There's an act saying that if you put four Frenchmen into a room, that they will have form five political parties. And that also can be said of economists. You put four economists in a room, and they'll come up with 12 definitions of economics, of the study of these political economies. The reason for this stems from their theological foundation in which they define economics. Basically, the older definition that comes from the Greek is the proper rendering of economics. The Greek word used for this means pertaining to the management of a household. Economics, then, is the study of the management of a household, a state, nation, business, or whatever you have. Now, whoever... Let me backtrack. It's a management of the production, distribution, and consumption of goods. When we say the management of a household, business, nation, or state, we are talking about the management of the production, distribution, and consumption of goods. Now, whoever manages these economic activities must own and control these economic activities. The manager of any business, in the ultimate sense, has to be the owner of the business. You cannot divorce ownership and control. If you say you own a cow, but the state says you cannot milk it, you cannot kill it, you cannot use it for meat, you cannot feed it, uh, uh, feed it on pasture land, if it controls how that cow may be used, you cannot say you own it. Only if you control something can you say that you own it. So ownership and control go hand in hand. So we have to say that when we start with the idea that economics is the study of the management of the production, consumption, and distribution of goods, we're talking about who makes the rule for these economic activities. Who makes the laws that govern the production, distribution, and consumption of goods? In other words, how can goods be produced? The first principle of economics, of understanding it, is this ownership principle. We can never understand economics apart from this ownership principle. It's solely upon this principle of ownership, of lordship, that we begin our study of economics. Now, economics never begins with a study of individual economic activity. It never begins with a study of how I manage my money, how the state manages its money, 
or how General Motors manages and produces cars. It begins with an overall world and life view of ownership. It begins with a basic presupposition of ultimate ownership of creation, of man and his world. I think I'm losing some of you, am I? Now we have to understand this because this is central to our understanding of economics. If we don't understand that economics deals with the study of the production, distribution, and consumption of goods from an ownership principle, we will never get off first base. We have to understand that whoever owns the world makes the rules for the world. He sets the laws by which goods can be produced, distributed, and consumed. We can understand this from God's creation of Adam in paradise and the Garden of Eden. You see, when God created Adam, he created Adam to think God's thought. Adam was not to determine good and evil apart from God. He was supposed to only think in terms of God. So as he viewed the world, he viewed it through the eyes of God. Now since there are Adam and God are different essences, the only way you can think God stops after him is by thinking in terms of his law, that rules himself and rules creation. So when Adam classified or named the animals, he saw these animals through the eyes of God. Now not exhaustively, because man does not have the mind of God, but truly is not limitedly. So when Adam classified the animals, he was classifying them according to their biological characteristics. A horse was a horse, a duck was a duck. In other words, the biological characteristics that match the horse, he didn't stick on a duck. This means that when Adam thought in terms of God, he would hitch up a plow to a horse to plow his field. He would think in terms of God and how God's creation works. In other words, he thought God thoughts after him in terms of the laws that govern creation. Now this capitalized Adam and made Adam more efficient. As he looked in terms of the laws that rule creation, planting of his garden, tilling of the soil, he became more productive. Now, on, the, on the other hand, if he hitched up his plow to a duck and forced his duck to plow, he would have killed his duck. He would have lost the duck, he would have lost all of his time, and he would have lost his knowledge of God. Now, this would decapitalize. So, in other words, what we see now is that man in Adam, before the fall, thought after him to such an extent that he could capitalize himself continually. He could create and subdue the world through the law of God. Now this is the juridical principle of ownership applied. Adam saw God as owning the world. He saw his law as ruling the world. He applied this law to his farming technique and the classifying the animal and he became productive. Economic progress became more productive. Now, after the fall, man's thoughts no longer were to serve God. But this juridical principle of ownership was not always. 
uh, excuse me, it was not a ball. It was million dollars. Because man now wanted to be a god, he now wanted to be the owner, lord of creation. In other words, he wanted to determine good and evil apart from God. But what he did was he wanted to look upon creation as belonging to himself. Now he was going to hitch up his plow to a duck and it better produce because that's what he said it was supposed to do. And he decapitalized himself in the process. You see, as man thinks in terms of himself as his own God, he's going to legislate for creation. He's going to say, I will determine the laws of how goods may be produced, distributed, and consumed. By doing so, he will decapitalize himself as he errs in sin away from the word of God. We can understand from this that God's law is what capitalized Adam, made him more productive, made it so he could produce good. And it was Adam's fall that led to his decapitalization, to death entering in the world, and the alteration of creation. You see the principle? God's law determines what is valuable not man's efforts or man's law. Regardless of how man looks at the world, does not change the objective truth that's over him. Man can only be economically efficient and progressive in terms of adhering to the word of God because he cannot legislate for reality. He cannot create objective truth. sees the world in terms of this lordship principle. Everyone sees the world in terms of ownership. Whoever owns creation is the lord of creation and is our God. Now all of man's economic activities and pursuits are geared towards this one end, the serving the owner of creation and of himself. Man whole life is geared to being theologically relevant to himself. He wants more than anything else to be in harmony with the owner of his soul. Man is not an economic creature, but a theological and religious creature. So every one of his activities is geared to serving his God. Now if he's a reprobate man, his economic activities are geared to making himself as God. Now, if he's redeemed in Christ, his economic activities are supposed to be geared to proclaiming Christ as Lord. Now, to reprobate man, he can create, by law, economic and material goods out of nothing. To the redeemed in Christ, this is an impossibility. What we're getting at is, in modern society, for example, is that when the state creates printing press money, they are saying they can create wealth out of nothing. It's called fiat money because it's a creation out of nothing. 
and it's not in harmony with God's law that rules creation. And this is why printing press money leads to inflation, which helps create the business cycle, which helps to, uh, to create depression. In other words, fiat money decapitalizes because man cannot legislate for reality. Redeeming Christ, no, this is an impossibility. But you cannot create something out of nothing. But the only way things can be created is in terms of the Word of God. Now, each economist begins his particular study of political economy from his own perspective. Now, if he's a Christian, his perspective is God's Word. If he's reprobate, his perspective is himself as his own God. In other words, the humanist economist sees himself as establishing the rules and laws that govern creation. He sees his particular definition of economics as being objective truth, as being the way things must operate. This puts him squarely at the helm of being as God. This puts him squarely at the helm of being a would-be dictator over the rest of mankind. Because it's his law that rules reality. It's his definition of economics that establishes an economic order. Not God, but himself. This is why you'll have as many definitions of e uh, economics as you have economies. Because secular economics begins with each man proclaiming that his particular idea of economics is real, is what rules the world. Unfortunately, there is no Christian economic theory today. None has been developed. None has started from the Word of God. And for this reason, all economic theory today starts from the premise of autonomous man. And all these theories will lead to disaster. Some are not as uh, greatly in error as others. But if they all follow the logical conclusion, they will all lead to destruction. So we can understand that the Christian cannot start from a theological premise that man is autonomous, that man is owner of this world. What he starts with is the idea that God is Lord. That's his basic presupposition. That the Word of God is the law for all of reality. And therefore, he never attempts to legislate in the area of economics. What he wishes to do is to implement God's law in the area of economic activity. Now, what we can understand from this is that economics and theology are indivisible. The claim of the economist is that he knows God's word as it applies to economic realm. If he's a humanist, he's claiming to be as God. If he's a Christian, he's claiming to be, claiming that he has the ability to apply God's word to the area of economic concerns, the production, distribution, and consumption of goods. So what we're confronting is, is economics and theology are absolutely individual. And we can understand the local economist, the one in Washington, or the books we read, by asking where his economic theory leads us. 
Is it promote God, give all glory to God, or to give all glory to man? In other words, do these economic theories adhere to the law of God, or do they adhere to the law of man? One example of how to discern what an economist is saying, whether it's godly or ungodly, is to see how he adheres to the law of God. Because only through obedience to the law of God can we have progressive economic activity. And the man in Washington claims that we can have our cake and eat it too, that we can have printing cost money without inflation, he's got to be a liar. It's a form of theft. Because the first people who get that printing press money are the first buyers into the market. They are attempting to create something out of nothing through printing press money. And they cannot. Money does not produce cars. Does not produce food. Printing more money only prints more paper. And the more money you have for the same amount of goods, which is money becomes less valuable in terms of its purchasing power. Economist and a humanist economist can never start from the same basic presupposition. They are totally at war with one another. Both see the world in terms of theological perspective, but both start with a different God. Both start with a different faith and a different law. And because he starts with a different faith and a different law, the Christian, who knows nothing about economics, can judge the general trend of where any economic policy may take it. Because he has the law of God. The Christian cannot claim that he's ignorant of economic issues because economic issues are basically religious and theological. Well, we can sum up and say is that economics is theological, it is religious, and is essential to man's nature. It is an ingredient in his nature because it is obedient to the law of our God. Economics is simply the study of religious principle and its application to our lives. This is all it is. It is a study and application of the law of God to man and his world. It is a study of the management of the production, distribution, and consumption of goods in terms of the word of God or the word of man. What we're saying is that economics is a branch of moral theology. The branch of the moral theology of man and the moral theology of God. Economics begins with a concept of ownership. It begins with an answer to the question, who is Lord, Christ or man? Are there any questions? Do you understand the basic premise behind economics? Do you understand that when you read scripture 
and understand the law of God, you're learning economics. And when you teach your kids or your students the law of God, you're teaching them economics. Thou shalt not steal is an economic principle. Now, it endorses the concept of private property. In other words, it endorses the concept that because God owns everything, he has appointed private stewardship as his means for fulfilling his glorious rule on earth. When they endorse socialism, they endorse collective stewardship in violation of the word of God. They are positing man as the ultimate owner of creation and saying collectivism rules the world because they say that's the law by which all things are ruled. And private is a legitimate tax on private property, God's tax. By, by private property you mean real estate, don't you? Yeah, but no. The only legitimate taxes in the Bible are first fruits, the poll tax or head tax, the tithe, the poor loans, and of that variety. Anything that the state imposes beyond that is illegitimate and illegal in the eyes of God. And this doesn't mean the state is illegal or they're illegitimate. It means its actions are. Just like if you went and you're a legitimate person in the eyes of God because you're a member of the covenant of Christ or the covenant of Adam. In other words, you have a juridical relationship with God, either as a sinner, as a reprobate, or as a redeemed, and as a Christian. Now, if you stole, if you violate God's law and steal, that action is illegitimate. From uh, what you just said, now there are groups that are trying to come up with a Christian approach to economics, but because they deny the law of God, the Old Testament law, they can't come up with an, a Christian view of economics. No, because of the ownership, right? Well, that's exactly correct. If, once you start with the idea that you can define economics apart from the revealed word of God, and that's the Old and New Testament, then you just cut your throat. Because the only definition we have of how this world operates is in terms of the word of God. You see, even a reprobate economist has come up with some outstanding truth. But he's done so by thinking God stops after him in spite of himself. You see, he, it's like the Austrian school of economics and the theory of value. Acting men determine value relationships between automobiles and cabbages in terms of dollars. Basically, it's true. But their basic theory will always honor man and lead to destruction. But what they're saying is true. Now, what we have to do is develop a Christian theory of value. We have to develop a Christian theory of money. We have to develop a Christian theory of corporations. And we can't do this unless we have the law of God, the Old Testament, to be our guide. Without the Old Testament, we have no we cannot develop Christian God. But this is basically what we're going to have to do when we teach kids. We're going to we do have some good economic books out there. What we're going to have to do is tell them basically this is economics because this is morality. That's all economics is. It's morality in action in terms of producing material goods. Now, I'd like to explain, see, for example, stealing is an extremely effective means of, of obtaining material goods. Now, if I wanted a car, I can go out and swipe yours, and I've got a car just like that. 
Huh? God prohibits that. Instead, I should go to work or someone should give me a car or whatever, see? So what we're saying is, with the law of God, we set limits to what we can do in the economic area. Prostitution, for example, cannot be a free market activity under a Christian concept of political economy. Now, acting men say prostitution's all right. I find it valuable to me, therefore, there's nothing wrong with it. Now, this is basically the marginal utility theory of value. But God says that's no, because he's taking a subjective theory and making an objective truth. But prostitution destroys society. Homosexuality destroys society. So, man can only think in terms of what God has allowed to be legitimate, what God sees valuable in terms of his law. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by ChristRules.com.